Welcome to the Keeping the Nostalgia Alive show. Please check out our sponsor, ZoomerSport.com, where they manufacture every product from the same exact materials as your favorite sports balls. Baseball, basketball, football, golf, soccer, softball, tennis, and volleyball. They also do licensed products with additional colleges and universities being added weekly. Want your sports balls products with your company logo? They can also do that. Zoomersport.com, where they manufacture every product from the same exact materials as your favorite sports balls. A basketball hero around here is treated like a god. I mean, I can never find out what he could really do. I don't want this to be the high point of his life. I've seen him, the real sad ones. They sit around the rest of their lives talking about the glory days when they were 17 years old. You know, most people would kill to be treated like a god just for a few moments. Welcome to the Keeping the Nostalgia Live. Welcome to Keeping the Nostalgia Live show. I am your host, Billy Powell. Um, somehow, someway in sixth grade, which was 1980, I got someone to take me to Market Square Arena and see my first Final Four. And uh, in my opinion, it's the best Final Four that it had ever been, just because, you know, I was introduced to it. Of course, we had moved to the Broderpool area, and I knew I was going to go to Broderpool High School. uh, And I got to see great games that day between Marion. Marion was in it. Broderpool was in it. uh, Adrian was in it. uh, uh, New Albany was in it. And um, it, it was just a, you know, it was just an education on basketball, especially being in sixth grade. And with that being said, I can go through a whole list of things with the guest that's going to be on the program today. But Dan Dockage is joining us. And Dan, thank you so much for uh, spending some time with us. I know your time is valuable. uh, And uh, we appreciate you keeping the nostalgia alive and uh, discussing some hoops with us. My time is not valuable right now. I do nothing but work. You know, every... Every week, I stare down the barrel right now of a 15-hour work week. So my time is my time is easy, very, very easy. But thank you for having me on. You know, uh, we uh, sent you some photos of both your uncle and your dad and their playing days in college basketball. Um, tell us a little bit about, uh, was, was basketball your first sport that you were introduced to, or was it baseball? And tell us a little bit about your family, and let everybody know where Adrian is, is in retrospect to Indianapolis. Well, it's Andrean, and we're very proud of the name. It's a combination, I don't even know why, but our Bishop Andrew Gritka started the school in 1959. It's on 5959 Broadway, and he used to be in Gary. But what happened was um, Gary was annexed by Merrillville, and I can't remember the year, like 72. I remember I was like 10 years old, and my mom told me our address changed from 1620 West 54th Avenue, Gary, Indiana, to 1620 West 54th Avenue, Merrillville, Indiana, which, you know, as a 10-year-old, is like, what the hell is that? But anyway, um, yeah, it's up in the northwest corner at a little Catholic school, and... Um, I was introduced to basketball, baseball, football in an empty lot next to my house, and we had older kids, Joey Mullen, uh, his brother Bobby, my brother, a bunch of guys that uh, we played every day. We played, uh, actually didn't play much basketball. We played baseball and football, and uh, I remember one of my dad, my dad was principal of Calumet High School, which is in Gary, and uh, we used to go in there, run around, shoot baskets, but... uh, I had to convince my parents to put a basketball hoop up in our driveway because they they swore I wouldn't play. They're like, well, you play the first few days, and then you won't play. And uh, uh, that turned out to be totally false, as that's all I ever did was on this little slab in my driveway in Maryville was uh, play basketball. Is it? And so... Anyway, we played everything, and then my dad lied to get me on my brother's team when I was seven. You had to be eight. We were on Mr. Ellie's hot dog, and then we uh, didn't win a game. So that's kind of my first introduction. So, so growing up, were you were you a Cubs fan because of the proximity of the Cubs? I was a Cubs fan. Be- yes, absolutely. Because in 1969, I was seven years old. My dad took me to a Cubs game. 
And uh, that and the fact that when we came home from school, the Cubs played every day uh, on TV. And, you know, you come home and you're kind of tired and all that. And, man, you, I always hoped the Cubs were, like, in the fourth inning so that you could watch. Sometimes they were in the fourth, sometimes they were in the seventh, sometimes they were in the eighth. But they were on every day. And uh, so, you, you know, you just become a fan of what you watch every day. And, and I was also a White Sox fan, but because it was actually closer, south side is closer than the north side. But, uh, yeah, the Cubs were on every day. And I'd get off the bus, run downstairs in our house, and there they were, man. So I was ready to rock and roll. You know, I think growing up in Indianapolis, because Indianapolis was a triple-A ball club for the Cincinnati Reds, I think proximity counts for a lot of why baseball fans are the fans of who they are. Yeah, I mean, ba- baseball, basketball, my first, and my really my one idol, I'm going to walk inside here so you don't hear this weather, but my one idol is a guy named Bob Love, who was number 10 on the uh, Chicago Bulls, and, and then I like, you know, I can name the Cubs start to finish Billy Williams and Fergie Jenkins were my others because they were stars of the Cubs um, and then you know Dick Budkiss Gail Sayers and then Walter Payton um, were you know my idols as well because you know I remember when the Cubs drafted Walter Payton I was mad or the Bears drafted Walter Payton I was mad because <clears throat> I'd researched it a little bit and wanted a guy named Don Hardiman from the University of Houston and, and nobody knew back then who uh who got drafted by who and uh, i read it in the paper to gary post tribune i used to always read the paper from cover to cover i mean i've read everything still still would like to but i don't the indie star doesn't deliver very well so i ended up canceling the thing but i read the gary post tribune from the cover to man everything and i learned that they drafted walter payton i was pissed about it because i wanted him to draft don hardeman and that's really kind of stupid of me, but you know, you're a little kid. You you follow your team, man. If they're close, you follow. Uh, when you would listen to Bulls games or watch Cubs games, you know, at a young age, did you fantasize about being a baseball player or a basketball player? Uh, both. Um, I wanted to be the shortstop of the Cubs, or I wanted to be, you know, forward on the Bulls. I, I wanted to be, you know, or I wanted to be a running back or wide receiver for the – I'll tell people that this is damn the best Sandlot wide receiver in the history of football. I just couldn't stand football practice. Um, I played in eighth grade, and I remember going, man, I like the off days way better than I like the the, the practice days. And, I, and basketball was totally different. I liked the uh, – um, I couldn't stand having an off day in basketball when I got to about fifth or sixth grade. I, I just couldn't stand it. And if we had an off day, then I went and – rode my bike and broke into our school's gym or somewhere but uh i want to be shortstop of the uh cubs and i wanted to be starting forward for the for the bulls what kind of history did your high school have before you got to your high school in basketball <laughs> they didn't have any they had one sectional title a few years before we got there and uh, actually when i was in eighth grade it's kind of funny i got recruited uh, you mentioned the, the state finals. Marion, the head coach there, Larry Little, had been at Maryville High School, and he recruited him, offered my dad a job uh, to come when I was in eighth grade if I, we would move to Marion. And uh, my dad was going to be a vice principal. And then Highland High School, which is close to us, offered my dad a job if I would come to, to you know, there. And then my high school coach, like, I don't care where you go, it doesn't matter to me. And basketball wasn't. Basketball wasn't very good at Andre, and it was just, uh, it was basically, um, it just wasn't very good. And, and they had one year, I think it was 1977 maybe, or 76, I can't remember, maybe they lost to Drake Morris. Um, they got to the regional, but they had never, they had won one sectional maybe in the history of the school. So you know that saying that if a tree falls in the forest and no one's there to hear it, uh, actually, history may have been a little bit changed, and Stacy Turan may have not hit that 57-foot shot uh, on Marion, but may have hit it. May not have hit it if you would have been playing for him. <laughs> I don't know. I, we, everybody, it worked out. It seemed like it worked out for everyone. It worked out for Marion. It worked out. You know, they got to the state finals. We got to the state finals. It really worked out for me because I got the best teammates I ever had in my life, and the most fun I ever had in my life was that particular year with the guys. Uh, because I had grown up 
I was a junior, but I was really a senior. I had sat out a year of high school after my sophomore year of high school. I didn't go to high school. I didn't attend high school uh, for a year. I was like Arthur Fonzarelli. I, I had a knee disease, a bone disease. I couldn't play basketball. And uh, so I, I was 16, and my dad held me out of high school, and I worked – um, I worked at a sporting goods store. I took speed reading classes. I took uh, car auto mechanics and uh, did workbooks because my mother was a teacher. My dad was a teacher. And I just didn't go to high school. So then I came back my junior and senior year, and we were pretty good. Uh, your junior year, did you see like uh, did you know that your team would be kind of special? Did you feel like you would guys would do what you did? You know, when we were freshmen. Uh, our freshman coach, Father Sawicki, said, you know, this team's good enough to play in the state finals. And actually, when we were freshmen, we had uh, two other kids with us. We had a kid named Dan Plezak who ended up playing in the big leagues for 19 years or 16 years. He's now on Major League Baseball Network. And then we had another kid named Jeff Furlan, and Jeff ended up uh, playing. He transferred to – Danny transferred to Crown Point, and, and Jeff transferred to Valpo. His family moved to Valpo, and Jeff ended up starting for three years at Ball State. So, we, you know, we, we came up with a really good group of basketball players from our freshman year. But 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 then the year I sat out um, and then came back, I was in the same class with two kids – one was Jimmy Bullock, who ended up playing at Purdue and was a great player at Purdue. And then Buzzy Golf, who Buzzy ended up uh, going and playing at Eastern Illinois. And then, uh, so, we, you know, we had – I know in practice that I'm like, you know what, we in, in the region you always – it was Andrean against Gary Roosevelt to start the year, every year. And it was always November 15th. And I, I'll never forget going over there um, and beating them. And I think I, I had a big second half in the game. We were scared to death. We hadn't really played on the varsity. None of us had. But all of a sudden, in the second half, I remember we, we kicked their ass. And that uh, was with Ronaldo Thomas, a team that eventually went to the state finals as well, Ronaldo and his crew. But uh, so I thought, man, we might be pretty good. And then, you know, we just kind of beat everybody except for Maryville. Maryville High School got us. But uh, I would say they cheated us. They gave me three fouls in the first half after I had 15. I'll never forget sitting there going out. They just cheated us. But anyway, I digress. <laughs> we, uh, you know, yeah, I thought we were pretty good. I mean, we we, we were kind of cocky and nobody knew us. And uh, but we all loved basketball. Like we, I used to go to game every day. Like I'd look at the schedule and if Hammond Morton was playing, I'd grab two teammates and we'd drive over to Hammond. Or if Gary Westside was playing, we'd go watch Westside. So we we were a very close group and got pretty good. Do you agree that probably that area of the state probably should have more state championships or state champions, but, you know, they end up knocking each other off because they're so good? You know, it's interesting. I've always said that. Like, when we played in the Hammond um, – when we played in the Hammond sectional my junior year, I think we beat Hammond High, and they were in the top ten in the state, and then we beat – Hammond Knoll in the regional, and they were in the top ten in the state. And in my senior year, I remember we were like fourth or fifth in the state, and we beat Hammond High again. It was like six. And yeah, I mean, it was you know it, it, one of the deals as a kid growing up was I always wanted to, all I cared. I didn't care about state finals. I didn't care about the semi-state. I just wanted to win the Gary Regional. That was a huge deal for me because I knew my dad was a radio. Uh, he did the radio for the, on the local station WWCA, and I used to go with him. And I knew, you know, I knew Wallace Bryan, John Hegwood. I knew, you know, the '72 uh, Gary Westside team with Elijah Clark and Kesem Grimes that went to the state finals. I knew Kerry Carabine of Maryville. I knew, you know, all these guys. They were my idols: Hammond High, Rich Vallavicious, who ended up playing at Indiana. I remember watching their teams: Drake Morris. Uh, Frankie Smith, Wallace Bryant from Gary Emerson. I just remember all these guys, and they were my heroes, and they, I just wanted to win that. And I just remember going to games going, man, are these guys good? Holy hell. And then you follow them, and they're all playing really well in college. So, you know, uh, back then, I mean, but I'm sure a lot – back then the problem you have was a lot of these teams, you know, I used to tell Alfred all the time, like, well, what the hell? You know, you guys, Lafayette, Jeff, Richmond, you guys all have the sectionals at your own – 
schools and you play these little towns, so you're going to have a better chance. We used to play in Hammond, and you play in all the Hammond schools, or you play in the Gary section, had all the Gary schools, so only one team's coming out of there. So, yeah, I think that, and I think referees have always cheated. I say it all the time just to kind of piss people <laughs> off, but I always think the referees always cheated teams, and so they, they, well, once we get south of U.S. 30, you know, in our world, the region is north of U.S. 30, and uh, west of I-65, so it's Maryville, Hammond, East Chicago, Highland, you know, that kind of thing, but yeah, it was, you know, like like I said to me as a kid, I, I'm all, shoot, all of a sudden, you know, University of San Francisco's number one in the country, and they got John Hegwell, and uh, who's from Roosevelt, Wallace Bryan, who's been playing, and, you know, so yeah, there's great players coming through there. You know, at Broderpool, we, when we'd go up there, I went up there twice, of course, while I was there between 82 and 86, and uh, you, there's no way you could win up there. Yeah, I mean, I went to Broad Ripple against Gary Roosevelt when they played at Gary Roosevelt, and Gary Roosevelt cheated the hell out of Broad Ripple, and we were all happy about it. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, like, you know, we when we were in high school, everybody knew us, so, you know, black, white didn't matter. You know, I mean, there was a lot of tension before that, but, I mean, everybody kind of knew us, so I'll never forget. We're going to the, to the Gary Roosevelt Broad Ripple game at Roosevelt. I must have been a senior, and two kids came with us that we really I knew them but they never really went with us anywhere and they were all excited one dude pulls a gun out from underneath his seat he goes hey I got us protected <laughs> and I'm like man are you crazy I go you put that gun away before I take it and shoot you in the head before we even go anywhere like what is wrong with you but I do remember I do remember Broad Ripple came in there and, and Broad Ripple got cheated and we are they were high-fiving Ronaldo and, and all these guys going, good, good. About time somebody from Indy came up here and got screwed. We felt good about it. <laughs> uh, tell, us a little, tell us a little bit about the, the run to the Final Four. Um, was it a whirlwind? Did you take it all in? What did you take from that experience? Uh, it was, you know, we were supposed to win the sectional, but we got we got down in the afternoon. It, Hammond Noah had a kid named Michael McKinney who played, and his brother Henry who played at uh, uh, Illinois State. He was a really good player at Illinois State, and Michael went went off on us in the first half. We were down like twelve at halftime, and we ended up winning. And uh, you know, you, you got to understand, like we, Andrean had never won a regional, and so. This is how funny we were, we or stupid we were, I guess. And so we played that night against Gary Wallace, who we had beaten. Uh, I tipped one in at the buzzer to beat him uh, earlier in the year, and we pretty much beat him bad to win the regional. And this is, you know, this is how our school was. It was very cool. We, we, I get on, you know, the local radio station. I know everybody's listening on their way home from the regional because it's jam packed at. At West Side, and they're like, I'm like, well, hey, everybody, that's an Andrean fan. Go to Brookwood, which is a neighborhood in really rich neighborhood, actually in Maryville. I said we're having a big party at Mike Walsh's house, and everybody's invited. So, like, the Walshes were. Next thing you know, there's like a thousand people at their house, right? And we're just having a, you know, kind of a party, and and then you know what? It was it, it, we. I took it all in. We. You know, we we had a pep rally, and the whole school came together. And again, it was the first time Andrean had never really been involved in winning anything. I mean, baseball, basketball, football. Uh, you know, I remember we had a pep rally, and afterwards we all, for whatever the reasons, all of us guys, girls, whatever, went to go see the movie Grease at the drive-in. And I'm, you know, I'm just in a pep rally where we're the biggest thing going and I'm in the trunk of a car sneaking into a drive-in right after so that we can watch a movie and not have to pay for it and about 30 of us are in the back and you know and then we went to the semi-state and I don't know why but our coach made us go home 
but all our girlfriends and stuff were back in Lafayette. So we got in our car when we got back to Andre and we all drove back to Lafayette for some reason. I don't even know. It was like an hour and a half. And we're like, what the hell? We were talking about it this summer. I had a bunch of my friends at our house. And I'm like, what the hell did we drive back for? What are we doing? But we, you know, we just, I don't know. The town was great. You know, uh, people everywhere, alumni, and our friends and family. And every, we had a great support group because all the football players and wrestlers were all our friends and we just honest to God we just had a freaking blast and and uh, uh, you know then we go to the state finals and we lose and my friend Mike Paulson missed two free throws and and he probably I probably shouldn't say this but what the hell I mean we had like the biggest freaking party at the hotel with me because it was the Adams Mark Hotel right across the street from the airport. We were staying at the airport. I mean, I didn't really go to it. I, I was downstairs. I just was hanging out in, in a room with my girlfriend and a bunch of other people, but everybody upstairs was drunk and crazy. And, you know, it, I, but, so then we're walking across the street to get back to our hotel like four in the morning, and I'm trying to get some of my teammates and friends across the street. It was like, holy hell, this is the best. It was just fun, right? I mean, it's just, I don't know. And then, truth of the matter, Monday morning, we were on spring break, so we started two-a-day baseball practice and started the baseball season. Dan, if you if, if you wouldn't have worn an Indiana University baseball and basketball jersey, what other jersey or what other college would you have leaned toward or would have gone to if you would not have attended Indiana University? Um, you know, I had Gene Cady was just getting to Purdue, and he came to Northwest. And like when I was coming up, we had Dan Palombizio, he's Mr. Basketball. The Harden brothers were coming out of Valpo. Jimmy Bullock ended up going to. He was my teammate. Myself, Ronaldo Thomas was from Gary uh, Gary Roosevelt. You know, they. So I probably Gene came. Coach Cady came to my house, and my dad and I loved him. I mean, we just loved him. Probably would have gone to Purdue. Norm Sloan came to my house from Florida. Uh, and I thought he was kind of a shyster. It was kind of funny. Uh, Michigan State, Michigan wanted to come in, and we just kind of said, nah, we're, we're going to Indiana. But uh, probably Purdue. But I had a brother. My brother was a, a um, sophomore or junior at Wabash. And he explained to me the difference, and this sounds bad, but it's true, the difference at least then of going to Indiana or going to Purdue, you know, in terms of, you know, look, Indiana had just gone undefeated in 76. They were, you know, they won champion. They were number one in the country in 80. They were, you know, ended up winning a championship in 81. So, you know, it was like, God dang, Coach Knight asked you to go, you go. And he asked me to go when I was a junior. And so I pretty much shut down my recruiting. But I probably went to Purdue, probably would go to Purdue. Um, I know today I listened to your show today, which was on 1070 AM or 1075 FM, uh, The Fan, and you were telling the story about uh, where you met Chet Kopik. Of course, he passed. Uh, may you rest in peace. And, and the first time, you know, uh, with uh, him and Coach Knight and a couple of questions. But is that where you basically, you know, I'm, I'm going to make that decision. I'm going to go to IU. Nobody else is going to touch me. Yeah, kind of what happened was uh, Jimmy Cruz came to, <clears throat> came to see us play at uh, Lowell. And I didn't know he was coming. My dad, you know, was in touch, or they were in touch with my dad. I didn't even know, you know, I didn't really pay attention to anybody recruiting. I remember I got my first letter from the Coast Guard Academy. And so we go play Lowell, and I ended up with 30 at half, and I ended up with 49. And, you know, it was a weekday night. So we always used to, everybody used to go to the McDonald's on Broadway and Gary. And so we went after the game but nobody was really there we were just having a burger laughing or whatever and I went home and my dad was up and he goes hey man congratulations you know you broke the school record I go yeah you know pretty cool and then you know he says you want the good news and I'm thinking what are you talking about he goes well the good news is uh, Jimmy Cruz was there from Indiana and they want us to come down to the Indiana Ohio State uh, game this Saturday you know after your game or whatever no I don't I, it, yeah, I don't think we played. I think the season was over and sectionals were starting the next week. He goes, he wants to come down. So I'm like, you're shitting me, right? I mean, there's no way. He goes, yeah. I said, okay. So my dad, myself, we got it arranged with uh, 
Jim Hamill, Bob's brother, and then one of his players wanted to go. So I don't know. We took a big, we took a van down there, and it's one of the great games in Assembly Hall history. Butch Carter makes two free throws. Indiana in 1980 wins, wins the Big Ten title. And I don't know anything about recruiting. Nothing. All I know is I got invited. This is the coolest place I've ever been. Never been to Assembly Hall. Just see a red. This place is nuts. I want to play. Let's go. And I'm kind of leaving. We're just kind of walking out. And Coach Cruz comes and gets my dad, myself, and my brother. Says, hey, come on in the locker room. Whoa. So we're like, wow. All right. So we go in the locker room. And we're kind of standing there and coach and I talk to the team and he introduces to Isaiah Thomas and, and he, he goes, he goes, Hey, I've got to go to a uh, press conference. Just stay here. So I'll, I'll never forget this. He, uh, he comes back in and I'm looking at this board, which is their goals. It's, it was still on the board when I left in the end of 97, the goals for every game, meaning, Hold every opponent under or opponent under twenty. Shoot fifty percent. You know all the goals for each game, and all of a sudden a guy smacks me on the side of the head, hard. I don't know who it was from behind. I turned around with my fist kind of clenched, like what the frick is this? And it's Coach Knight, and he goes, "Well, do you want to play basketball at Indiana or not?" And I looked at my dad, and my dad kind of shrugs. I said, well, Coach, are you offering me a scholarship? Because I didn't know if it was a scholarship, walk-on. I didn't know. He goes, yeah, I'm offering you a scholarship. Do you want to play basketball here at Indiana on a scholarship? And I said, yeah, absolutely. And it's kind of funny. Like, he, he then he goes, all right, well, good. Then we're done here. And I'm like, okay. But then he goes, well, wait. Yeah, right? Um, he goes, well, wait, just wait here. And that's when it's kind of, you know, he did an interview with Chet Kopic where he told Chet, if you don't ask me a better question, I'm going to stick this microphone, you know, up your ass. And so my dad and I, my brother are just laughing, right? We're like, this is the greatest. I mean, that's how, and then coach Knight, honest to God, Billy completely lied to me. Could not have lied more to me. He looks at me, goes, okay, here's the deal. If you commit to Indiana, I will not recruit anybody six foot four to six foot six in your class, and I will not recruit anybody six foot four to six foot six in the class behind you. I'm like, okay. <laughs> like he didn't have to say that. I didn't ask him to say that, right? He could not have lied more to me. He re- in in my class was six foot four Winston Morgan, six foot six. Rick Rowray and six foot five the next year, Tracy Foster. So when I hear all these people talk about how, I, and, and this, you know, it actually kind of pissed me off because there was no reason to lie to me. Like I didn't, I'd have come if he told me he was going to recruit everybody in the country. That would, you know, Michael Jordan is my age. If he just said I was going to recruit Michael Jordan, and I'd have come to Indiana anyway. I'm cool with it. It didn't matter to me, but. When he said that, and then it turned out he could not have lied more, it was like, I, truthfully, I worked for him for 16 years, played for him, but I never really trusted him. I mean, I, I always would laugh at people when they talk about, well, Bob Knight's the most honest guy. And I used to think about that story and go, man, if only you all knew. Uh, but, you know, what did I care? I mean... You know, in Indiana at that time is where you went to school. In, in my opinion, if you were good enough, and and it worked out great, but I do get a kick out of. Well, he's the most honest recruiter in the country. I'm thinking, oh boy, are you crazy? But anyway, you know, there's not a lot. There's not a lot of two sport athletes that played basketball and another sport uh, under Bobby Knight. Well, uh, was that something that was approved, or did you enjoy playing baseball at IU also? Yeah, yeah, I was going to, like, when I came out of Indiana and a bunch of schools, I actually, uh, I was so stupid when I look back on it. Like, the, the Braves were going to draft me, a couple other teams were going to draft me, and I'm like, look, don't even waste your time. Uh, I'm going to go play basketball at Indiana, and, which was really stupid because I didn't really realize that Danny Ainge was doing that at that time. He was playing both. And, uh, you know, I remember on. being at, yeah. 
yeah, he was playing with the Toronto Blue Jays, and he was playing basketball. And I remember being, we were playing in the sectional baseball tournament at, at in in East Gary Lake Station, it's called now. But and the scout for the Braves sat me down, and he's like, "All right, look, I would like to draft you, but we need to know what you're doing." And I'm like, "Look, don't even waste your time. I'm going to play basketball at Indiana." I mean, I'm you know, which was really stupid. Um. And then when I was a freshman at Indiana, Kitchell played baseball. And I'm like, well, because the baseball coach was calling my house, Larry Smith, and, and uh, I'm like, eh, I don't want to play. I'm putting everything into basketball. I'm not that good in basketball. I want to get better, blah, 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 blah. And then my sophomore year, I'm like, I'm going to play baseball. Shoot. And he kept calling. So I went out in the middle of, you know, and I, Basically, we lost to Kentucky, and the next day I was in the field house at, at IU hitting with the hitting coach, and we had a doubleheader. And so I played baseball that year, um, but and I was going to play the rest of my career, but they got a new baseball coach, Bob Morgan. And Morgan, and I didn't know him at all, but he was kind of a jerk to me. And so I said, well, okay, you know, I, I just won't play. I mean, okay, no problem. Well, I didn't realize it was kind of his personality, and I became friends with Bob later on, and I felt like, oh, man. You know, he's always like, why didn't you come out? I was dying for you to play baseball. And I, I said, I thought you didn't want me. You know, you acted like I was an idiot, you know. He goes, no, nah, I was just messing with you. And I didn't – I was just really dumb. <laughs> the truth. But I, I, I also was going to flunk out because in those days, baseball was – and I'm being literal here. Baseball was basically a doubleheader Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. You got in the bus early Friday, and you drove, you know, to Michigan, Michigan State, whatever it was, played a doubleheader Saturday, Sunday, and then, you you know, you drove back, got back late Sunday. Maybe you had a practice Monday, but then you had game Tuesday. Wednesday. And because a lot of games get rained out, so they schedule games all the time. Like, oh man, I think I'm gonna flunk out of here. You know, it was like I didn't really care about school anyway, and and now it's. And then I wish I'd played all all four years, or at least three of the last three years. But again, it, I'm so stupid. You know, it was like I didn't realize what that. You know, I just figured new coach didn't want me anyway, and he was gonna bring in his own guys, and that's cool. So, you know, I'll just move on. But I wish I'd played because I really like Bob and. Uh, I would have liked and my friends I had good friends on the baseball team and I wish I had a play but I didn't you know, you know, as you're getting ready to graduate, did, did you were you still not really focused on it, or uh, what did you want to do with your life after coming out of Indiana University? When I was a senior, Coach Knight offered me. He said, "Look, I need to coach. I want you to be a graduate assistant." I said, "Okay, that's great. That's exactly what I wanted to do." And then we had a bad year, and Coach Knight literally hated me. I mean, he would mf me. <laughs> uh, I mean, literally, like we went and played in the NIT and. He kicked Uve and I out of practice, made me stand in the corner, run stairs, and, you know, and, and okay, so the season was over, and he literally wouldn't talk to me. You still there? Uh, I'm sorry. I was getting job offers from people, and uh, I didn't know where I stood because he wouldn't talk to me, so... Um, you know, I, I don't know. I just kind of stayed around, and then they said, "Yeah, he, he, you can be a grad assistant." So I kind of just went to school, and I, I, it was weird. It was very, very weird. Hung out in the office as little as possible, so he didn't see me. And and then I became the next year. I was still there. We won national championship, and and Royce Waltman left, and. Uh, you know, he kind of elevated me, and I don't even know why, but he did. And uh, but he literally hated. I mean, like even I think season on the brink when we lose to Cleveland State, there's a part in there where he's he started screaming at me because we lost, and the first person he saw was me, and what a dumbass I am, and blah blah. And I'm just standing there going, "Oh man, I just want to get on. A, I just want to go to Knicks. I just want to get out of Syracuse and go to Knicks and have a couple beers to get away from this guy." But uh, 
Yeah, it ended up working out well. But I, I did. I wanted to be a coach, and he gave me an opportunity to stay around. You, you know, Todd Meyer had commented, uh, uh, it's been a couple years ago, um, on social media that, uh, can you tell me a story about missing the bus? Oh, yeah. I mean, we <laughs> won the national championship, and, uh, uh, oh, hell, I uh, I stayed out way too late. And uh, hang on one second, I just got to, hey, Lee, will you drop me off there? We win national championship. I end up getting handcuffed by a cop because I won't leave Pat O'Brien's. They throw me in the back of a cop car, and I'm literally going to go to jail. True story. And I'm like, oh, man, a federal judge happened to be in line at Pat O'Brien's, and he got me out. So from there, we end up on, on Bourbon Street. From there, I end up with Craig Sager, the late Craig Sager. And we're having a dance contest, and then we end up in some bar, and we end up in a chair throwing contest. <laughs> and he throws it. He throws a chair. True story. At four in the morning, he throws a chair. He's freakishly strong, by the way. Like people don't know that about Craig, but Craig was freakishly strong, like crazy strong. And he throws this chair. It's a wrought iron chair. And he throws it like up the second story of this I don't know what he was throwing it at but it went through a window of like apartment complex and next thing you know we hear sirens so I go sprinting through the bar that was next door through the kitchen back to the Hilton and I literally went under my covers and put the covers over my head and uh, <laughs> Murray Bartow was my was my roommate you know <laughs> And Murray was just getting in. Now, Murray, I don't think he drank. He was just out. And, you know, I'm, we're out, like me and Todd and, uh, well, I don't know, Steve Isle and Courtney Witt. I mean, we had, you know, 20 of us just out, right? And so Murray's there, comes in, and I, I'm not lying to you. I don't even remember. But anyway, managers try to wake us up, and they can't. And next thing you know, they do, and they're like, the bus is leaving. So we had our stuff packed. We grab and go running down there, and we come around the corner, and the bus is pulling out without us. We come around the corner. My bag hits a uh, bush, cuts me off, and I face plant. I go face first onto the sidewalk, and I look up, and there's Alfred and Daryl Thomas and them in the back of the bus laughing at me as I'm, as I'm face down on the ground. And Murray's all nervous because he's, you know, he's like, what are we going to do? And I, I saw a cab. I, I told the cab driver, I said, look, I'll give you an extra 20 if you beat that bus to whatever the private tarmac was. <laughs> so literally, we beat the bus. We pull in in front of the bus. There's two planes that are going back. One has the team and the other has the coaches, but not Coach Knight. He rode on a team plane. So I know I'm half in the bag still, and I go sit on the plane in the back, not the team plane, the coach's plane that I came in on, and two managers come in, and they say, Dan, we got to take your seat. you got to get off this plane. Coach Knight told me to get you off the plane. you got to figure out your own way home. And I said, look, I ain't getting off this plane. I don't give a damn whether Coach Knight fires me. I hey, if I get off this plane, I may die in New Orleans, and I'm not getting off there. Oh, no, you, Dan, you got there. I told these two managers, I don't give two shit. I'll take being fired. And Royce Waltman and Con Smith like, Dan, you got to get off the plane. I ain't getting off the plane. I, go, I don't care. I'll get fired. I ain't getting off the plane. Somebody will hire me. I ain't getting off this plane. So, so, so we get back to Assembly Hall, and there's a huge crowd. I, I go into the locker room. I go into the bathroom, and here comes Coach Knight next to me. So we're at the urinal, and he looks at me. He goes, didn't I tell you to get off that plane? I said, yep, you did. <laughs> he goes, you didn't get off the plane, did you? I said, nope. <laughs> and he just looked at me, and he kind of gave me one of his lousy looks, and I thought, oh, shit, I'm fired. <laughs> you know, but I didn't care. I wasn't getting off that damn plane, Billy. I wasn't – there was no way. I was going to die if I got off that plane. I, I was a mess. <laughs> So then we, you know, and I went to bed for four days, but uh, I'm ready whenever you are. So I went to bed for four days after that, like, you know. So, yeah, I missed the bus, fell on my face, and uh, 
scene and had a chair throwing contest with Craig Sager, which was a pretty nice, pretty fun time, actually. Uh, so, so do you have a relationship with Coach Knight now, or do you uh, do you chat no. with him occasionally, or no? No, I he uh, when I left to go to Bowling Green, he and Timmy Knight were really, really nasty. And I got a call. I don't know if you know who Ron Heklinski is, but Ron's a good friend of mine, and Ron's a longtime high school coach in Indiana. And he goes, "Man, what's up with Timmy Knight and Coach Knight? What are we talking about this? Well, they're bad mouthing you." And that was kind of Coach Knight's thing. And so he, he was bad mouthing me, so I called him up, and I got in a shouting match with him. And I never I never yelled at an adult male like I yelled at Timmy Knight. I've never, and I hope I never do, because I wanted to kill him at one point because of all the stuff he was saying. And then we got that a little bit patched up. But when he got fired, he blamed – he certainly wasn't going to blame himself. And so he, he found people that he could discard, and I was one of them. And he blamed me and was all mad and, you know, whatever. And then when I went to ESPN, he, he really bad-mouthed me there too. So I – I don't have much use for him. I don't really – I don't have a relationship. I don't want a relationship. I, I don't like him. Uh, I think – I don't even know. Last time I talked to him was at ESPN, and he was being – he was he and I actually in a room, and he started talking about – what he was talking He's talking about how – he's telling me how there's not enough uh, basketball people on the NCAA selection committee, and I told him, I said, "Well, because you guys are you guys are incapable. Coaches are incapable." I said, "Coach, if, if so, I worked for you for 16 years, and you blame me for being you being fired." I said, "If it came between my team and some guy that never worked for you, you would pick the other guy just out of spite of me." And I said, "So we got a little bit of argument there too." And that's the last time I've ever talked. I've talked to him. It's the last time I ever want to talk to him. I got no use for him. You know, the perception is he's really loyal. That's that. That's really sad. You know. Oh. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> he's loyal to people he needs. Uh, you'd be loyal to Isaiah. You'd be loyal to Dwayne Lucas. Uh, he ain't loyal to anybody he doesn't need. That's for damn. I mean, every every former player will tell you that. Did you? Like, did he need? If he? Huh? Go, uh, go ahead. Uh, if he needs you, he's loyal to you. If you're, if you're, you know, somebody more famous than him, he's loyal as hell. But no, he's the people that know him know he's 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 not very loyal, not at all. Dan, what is the big what is the big thing that happens when you go from coaching to uh, doing uh, you know the media? What what's the biggest thing that you've had to go through? And, and and do people come to you now and wanting you to coach? And do you turn down coaching positions? Uh, yes, I do. Um, I have probably five or six. Um, the biggest thing is you got to decide how honest are you going to be. You got to decide, like, okay, the majority of coaches get into media to get back into coaching, keep their name out there, show the world that they know. I got into media because I didn't want to get into coaching anymore. And I decided I'm throwing everything into, uh, into this Billy. So by that, I mean, Twitter, I mean, I wasn't going to be the old man that acts like he doesn't know any of this newfangled stuff because then it wasn't going to work. I I, I had to embrace everything about it, and and part of that is being critical of Indiana or being critical of guys that coach that are my friends or that I've known a long time. Um, And that's a hard thing for most guys. It's not hard for me because I decided, look, this is what I want to do. And, you know, it's kind of funny. I'm, I'm kind of considered a guy, I guess, in broadcasting that'll be critical, that'll tell like it is, whatever. And coaches never have a problem with it. Even Izzo, when he went after me a few years ago, it wasn't about anything I said. In fact, most coaches tell me, man, I'm glad you said that because I showed it to our player. Um, but that's the first thing you gotta you got to figure out is how honest are you going to be? Because if you coached it all and you – you should see the game differently than what fans see the game. 
And if you're going to see the game differently, then you and your coach, most of the times as a coach, you see you see the negative, right? I mean, you see the, you know, that's why your coach, anybody can see a guy dunk the ball, but you got to say, okay, why did he get the dunk? Nobody slid over to help or no, you know, whatever. So you got to figure that out. Um, but when I went into broadcasting, I decided I'm embracing everything about it. I'm not going to be, you know, oh, I don't know about this email stuff or I don't know about this Twitter stuff. Or, I wasn't going to do that. I was going to throw myself into it and, if it worked out, great. If it, and I was going to be myself. And if it worked out, great. If it didn't, well, then, you know, maybe I'll go back into coaching. But it's worked out okay. And uh, you're embracing it enough to actually buy shirts at universities that say Fire Dockage. I thought that was awesome at the Final Four when you were that doing that my, show with your that, wife. That was my wife. My, my wife and I were <laughs> having dinner. And, and somebody, we were just actually at, at this restaurant by our house we were sitting at the bar and we were eating and somebody was giving her a hassle and she's always on me about not getting in fights on twitter but she responded to this this lady from michigan state and then we kind of saw later on that she would she was selling fire docket shirts so she just bought one and uh wore it to the slam dunk contest which i thought was really really funny i mean I love that kind of stuff. I, I, I have a sick warped mind, but I absolutely love that kind of stuff. And, and you seem like you really, you know, you know, a lot of people would get agitated or come back really angry. You seem, you, you do, you know, you have all those trollers out there that are giving you crap. And most people, if they know their sports, really love your opinion. But if you do not know or are educated about your sport, they think you're an ass. Yeah, and I get, you know, a lot of people say that I'm unbiased, or I'm biased, and then when I look on their Twitter thing, they're like fans of a school, right? I, I, I'm, I'm considered biased if I don't like their school, and I get, look, I get that. I mean, you know, particularly in the Big Ten where everybody's so passionate and I do Big Ten games, I mean, truthfully, the only unbiased person when I, when I do an Indiana game, the only unbiased person in the gym is me because everybody else is wearing either Indiana cover colors or there's that little group behind the bench that's rooting for the opponent, right? So the only people in the whole gym, me, the referees, and my partner uh, are the only ones unbiased. And, and I say that literally because I do not care who wins. Like, I literally don't care. Like, if Indiana wins, I would love Indiana to win. I hope Indiana wins a national championship. But you know what? I hope Izzo wins a national championship. I hope Michigan. I hope wherever my son is. Um, and, but I'm telling you, man, that we're the only people, along with the rest, that are unbiased. But everybody in that gym who's wearing red or wearing candy stripes or if it's at Michigan State wearing green or wearing a Spartan shirt, says that I'm the one that's biased because I didn't say good things or enough good things about their own team. I get a kick out of that. I do. I love two things about Twitter when somebody comes at me. I love, number one, seeing that obviously they're a fan of a team and I didn't say nice enough stuff. Or number two, seeing in their bio somewhere that they're, you know, when they're calling me all kind of names that there's a Bible verse or something in there, which makes them a hypocrite in my mind. When did you start the layup line at Indiana University for kids? You know, it's funny. I, I've done that a lot. I, it, it, it never grew until that. Like, I've done it at every school, basically. Um, I was always a kid that went to the game, and when I saw the ball and in the game, I always wanted to play. And always, uh, So I w- I've, I've probably brought kids out on the court three-quarters of the time I've done a game, but I never really had kids start running out onto the court, right? Like, what I would do is there's a time after warm-ups um, when we're just sitting there as broadcasters, the team's out on the court, there's basketballs there, and, you know, like Minnesota, I brought two kids out just because they were little kids that had jerseys on, looked like, you know, and their dads are taking pictures, and in Michigan I did the same thing, and Michigan State, I get booed at Michigan State when I do it, but that's all right. I'm basically in Iowa, but all of a sudden in Indiana, I brought one kid out. Next thing you know, I brought two kids, three, and next thing you know, kids are pouring onto the court. Uh, I've been doing it for years, but no one's ever really noticed until the Indiana thing because so many kids came out on the court. But look, how cool is it if you're a kid and you're going to a game just to be on that court, whether you're going to shoot a layup or not? I mean, just to be out there for, like, I would have killed to walk out on Andrean High School's court when I was in sixth grade. Are you kidding me? Um, 
so, you know, I just, sometimes a kid in you takes over and, you know, you want to share an experience maybe that a kid maybe never gets again. But I was shocked, like, all of a sudden, Indiana, man, they're lined up across the court. I'm like, oh, crap. You know, this is probably going to piss those people off, but they'll be okay. <laughs> you know, it's like... And they were, I heard they were pissed off. Like, they tried to take the basketballs the third time I did it. And I was watching. So the one on one side, they took him without me seeing it. And I watched the other side. I saw the guy take him. So I ran up, grabbed one. And he said, hey, hey. And he, but I didn't pay attention. I just got on the court and had a kid all ready to go. And what are you going to do? Take the ball away in front of, you know, 15,000 people? So I'm sure it pissed them off. But they'll be all right. If that's the worst thing I do in my life, I'll feel pretty good about my life. Right. Uh, exactly, and I, I I know I've kept you long, but one uh, one last question is: Give me the perception and the reality of the 1984 uh, you on Michael Jordan. Well, the perception is that I stopped Michael Jordan. The reality is. Uh, well, the reality is I stopped Michael I mean, that's the reality. I got the tape. I got the tape uh, right here in my pocket. I mean, as I tell people, you know, they're like, well, you know, he got in foul trouble. I go, look, you're right. He did. But <laughs> the dude, like, you get your ass out there and try to stop him for five minutes, much less 25 minutes. Are you kidding me? Um, the reality is probably uh, we we he missed a lot of shots and we – we had a pretty good game plan just to keep them off the boards and stuff like that. But uh, I prefer the perception more than the reality, if you must know. You can listen to Dan Dockage on 1070 The Fan, 107.5 uh, FM uh, The Fan in Indianapolis, Indiana. You can also uh, find him online. Uh, Dan Dockage, thank you so much for spending some time with us. Uh, I, I appreciate your candor and uh, great program. Thank you so much. Hey, I love your uh, love your website. I do. I love it on, on Facebook. It's great stuff to see pictures and stuff. Thanks for inviting me. I'm very flattered. Thank you. Uh, I am. Hey, fl- I, I thank you so much. I appreciate it. No problem. Bye bye.